Blog Talk Radio. Divided, 
divided we fall. Divided we fall. United we stand. United we stand. Think about greatness. Think about greatness. Your history. Your history. Without my people. Without my people. Without my people. I would not want to be. Without my people. I would not want to be. You're listening to Chicago's Black Business Radio Network, All Black, All News, All You, for Thursday, January 26, 2012. This broadcast is designed to service the African-American community in Chicago and around the world. Tonight's segment is Black Wall Street USA. Join us right here every Thursday evening for Black Wall Street USA. We're here from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. on Thursday evenings, and we want you to be with us to be a part of sustaining and increasing black businesses across the country and the world. Our host is Mr. Ron Carter, chairman of Black Wall Street District Chicago and publisher and editor of the South Street Journal here in Chicago. I'm Sonia Cassandra Perdue, founder of Chicago's Black Business Network and author of Black America, Asking Ourselves the Tough Questions, Book 1, 2010, and Mr. Carter's co-host for this evening's show. We started this show in December of 2009, and we're up to about 170 shows. Our focus remains the same. It's a national focus with a local flavor. We reach out to organizations and individuals across the nation in our efforts to connect the dots, the spiritual dots of our people across this land. We will bring forth ideas and agendas that are already in place and let the nation know, let the nation know, what works for us. We will bring forth people from across the nation who know how to make it work. It is our desire to work with those for the common good of our people, meet on common ground, and share what it is that they do and what we do. Black Wall Street is here like a powerful force and positive virus sharing the news coming out of our communities. we got a lot of things coming up this year. Unfinished business from last year. We've been uh, back and forth a while, but we're back, and we have some big agendas going. We're going to talk to you about that a little later in the show. Opening up the show, a new theme song, and I'm still loving it. I love to hear when it comes on. I even play it when, I, when I'm not on Black Wall Street USA. I love my people, which was gifted to us by Mr. Oba William King of Just Us Arts. You can visit this organization at www.justusarts.org. This is Black Wall Street USA. Our caller number is 347-326-9477. Got the chat room open. Going to put some notes in there in a few minutes. Ron may not be on the chat tonight, but I'll be back and forth. If you have some questions, leave them in the chat room. Leave your company information in there as well. That's how we connect. Nothing has changed. A nice show. We did sort of a part one a couple of months ago. Got a huge response for it. Uh, I don't know if it's unfortunate, but it's reality that, uh, as I told Ron, almost everybody in my age group has a child support story. I don't have children. I don't have that story. But almost everybody can barely think of anyone um, who doesn't have a story about child support, family separations, divorces, those type of things. The child support business. The topic for tonight is what happens to a boy when he becomes a father. The child support business is, uh, is one of the things we're going to discuss, and this effect on the first 20 years of manhood. We'll look at the lives of young boys who become fathers, 
and uh, what happens to different areas of their lives, such as education, the area of education, skill development, uh, future family possibilities or future family limitations, or how does this affect their future relationships? You know and I know. And uh, how does this affect their choices or limit their choices in life? How do they adjust? Do they overcome it or do they never overcome it? Um, are they every, ever, ever, ever happy in it? Some may be and some may not be. But that's that's the topic for this evening. And uh, it won't be the last time that we will have this discussion because it seems like there is a lot to be said about that subject. General Parker of IllinoisFathers.org will be joining us again tonight. We expect him on the show. But uh, after a long separation off of Black Wall Street USA, let's see what's going on with the chairman. Ron Carter, are you there? Welcome to the show. Can you hear me, Ron? I lost my chairman. He dis- he disappeared into oblique. <laughs> they sucked him up in- into blog talk. He has disappeared. He should be dialing back in in, in just a moment. While um, he's dialing back in, let's let's do this. Uh, just let me make one announcement, one or two announcements. I see he's back on the switchboard. But since I've started this trail of conversation, wanted to remind you that. Uh, Circuit Court Clerk Dorothy Brown will be with us next Thursday, uh, 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. She will be, I guess, on Black Wall Street USA next week. And the subject is what's ahead in 2012 for women in politics and business. And she will be taking calls on that subject next week. Also joining her, and let me get this this straight, is Princess Zendaba Nairanda. Uh, um, we are going to, uh, if you look at our show page, you'll see her biography, but she has a, an intention of running. She does live in Chicago now. She does have an intention of running for what we would consider a congress, congressional office in Nairobi. So we're going to, uh, we're going to get all that straight and her, and the pronunciation of her name. We're going to get all of that straight. And uh, she will be with us also on that show with Clerk Dorothy Brown. So we appreciate them taking the time. The week after that, uh, Greg Brown from the Southside um, South Community Credit Union will be uh, on the show, and that's February 9th, to talk about microloans and a program that they have over there. So we want to be sure, all you small business owners, be sure to uh, tune into that show to be sure you get that information. It's very important. These are microloans from 5000 to 35000 available available for small businesses, and they are encouraging you, encouraging you to get the information and find out how you can apply. Don't say no to yourself. Let them say no. Don't assume that you cannot. Get your paperwork in order. As a matter of fact, the one page after, there's a one-page qualifying uh, application, one page to find out whether or not you qualify. After that, they'll move you forward through the process and complete the process for you. And I'm going to give you the website before we leave the air tonight. we got some other great uh, guests coming up, and we're going to 
confirm on that. As a matter of fact, today I got a call from Tuskegee, Chicago chapter. They put in a call a long time ago. I know I haven't seen Red Tails, but I know everybody's out there on their Red Tail. I'll probably go see it this weekend. Got a call from them this weekend. So we got some great guests coming up and some great things. Come on, Chairman. Let me see if I can pull you in. And uh, are you there? Hello. I'm are you there? Yeah. Exactly. Welcome to the show. I can hear you. I can well, hear you. Good, good, good. I'm feeling good being back. It seems as though we've been away for a year, even though we're heading on our, what is this? Uh, we're over two years now, correct? Yeah, it's going over two years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'm feeling good. We are still working and working and networking, and yes, there's a lot of good programs coming up, uh, are kicking off with the, uh, well, there's going to be some things before Hollow. Uh, Hollywood on 43rd Street, the, um, uh, what is it, the soul, the proud, and <laughs> the proud well, and who, I'm sorry. I, I'm going to save it for later, but what the chairman is, is talking about, we have an event. on the Black up. Wall Street District. I got to put the Black Wall Street out there because we're <laughs> going to have Hollywood on the Black Wall Street District. Yes, we do, chairman. We have Hollywood, Chicago style, coming up on Friday, March 23rd. Uh, on the Black Wall Street District, on the 43rd Street, Black Wall Street District. That's going to be at the, um, that is the cast party. It's the cast and production team of the African-American, first African-American anytime drama, The Proud and the Proud. They call it anytime drama. You call it a soap opera. But uh, oh, they are soap opera, <laughs> <laughs> drama soap opera. This is soap opera, nothing but drama. You know, i But I know it's going to be exciting. It's going to be good, uh, and I think it's something that Chicago and the nation will be looking forward to. And we're definitely proud to be uh, kicking it off. As you say, we're going to go into that uh, later on in the program. Uh, I can't wait till that happens because I know it's going to be a a well good show that Chicago's Black Business Network is uh, spearheading and kicking that off for the uh, on on our district, you know. So, but we got a lot of good things coming up. Uh, Black Wall Street went through a little trials and tribulations, but we're moving forward on 69th Street. Uh, we got a heavy meeting coming up this Saturday regarding the city of Chicago um, planning for the year 2040 and how are we going to make sure that black businesses are on. Uh, and actually, uh, I got here for South City Journal. Jumping on the bandwagon because of uh, spearheading that issue is a focus of black history as it relates to black businesses. I've been talking to some businesses today, and they definitely want to be a part of that because they see that black businesses have to be a major focus. And I think they got a lot to do with our tonight's show. Uh, uh, fatherhood, and how I like to look at it is fatherhood, how it looks to economics. And I know a lot of uh, brothers out there are saying, well, economics, but it's hurting my pocket and sending me to jail. And then when I get out of jail, I still can't afford to take care of my children. And then the 
I think it was on Facebook some time ago, and one sister was on there said, it, 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 but you can get a, a job and take care of your kids. So Chairman, you break, a, you're breaking, Ron, you're breaking up yeah. a little. Come back to the phone. You're fading away. Okay. How, how I'm sounding now, okay? Yes, that's better. What you doing, marching okay. up and down somewhere? <laughs> that's better. When when you when you come by to the place again, you're gonna see. I'm gonna show you what I was doing in the process of uh, on this program. I got a surprise <laughs> for you. Okay. It's an art piece. It's an art piece. I, okay. I, I got you. I got you. All right. So yeah, economics and fatherhood, um, and uh, the General Parker, who is the chair of the Peoria district. And also a a, a a a guy that has experienced this fatherhood issue personally, as well as as it relates to the economics, representing a lot of fathers. So I hope that our um, sisters call in as well uh, to give their point of view as uh, we go into tonight's program. Great. You're listening to Black Wall Street USA for January 26, 2012, and the theme for tonight is what happens when a uh, boy becomes a father. And uh, my relatives probably won't like this, but I'm, I'm going to share this a little bit anyway, uh, because it's not unique to my family. And uh, you know, can you can you uh, Renee Kenya Renee put out a, a film called The Cycle? And there are good cycles, bad cycles, healthy cycles, unhealthy cycles. And some of the cycles of uh, how our families are dysfunction, we keep passing it on to generation to generation. Um, Now, in my family, there's one young man who has six children by six different women. When he chose to get married, what did he do? He married a woman with no children. How lucky can she get? Uh, or how smart is she? Now, uh, I feel sorry for her. Well, she has stepchildren. She still has stepchildren. How wonderful. Now, uh, right. there's, a, there's another young man in my family who has ten children by a whole variety of white women. women. Now, the last one married him. Why you got to go there? The last one married him, so she must be the lucky one. Okay. Now, what happens to a boy when he comes, becomes a father? That's one thing. But what happens to a man when they perform in this manner? That's a whole nother show. I can do that show for you, Chairman. But um, yeah, but why you got to throw race in it? Why couldn't you just say that he had these uh, children? Why? What? 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 He got to do with? The, the nationality of the woman that he married. You're talking about children. Are, we, are you mixing interracial to raising children or a man, a boy becomes a man? Is, where are you going with that? What's this, why do you put that in there? Are you offended by that? That's, right. That's all right. All right. That's okay. I'm just, I'm just saying, all right? <laughs> are you offended because I use – I'm just saying it. that. I don't, we were talking about men – Boys becoming men, and you doing there about race? Kind of nerves over there. (laughs) 
I'm a black woman. I'm gonna be black. That's what I'm saying. Okay. And if I'm I'm referencing a black man having ten different kids by white women, I'm gonna say something about that too. Nah, because I'm a black woman. Now maybe maybe I should have said in the show, the title of the show, what happens to a black boy when he becomes a black father? Nah. (laughs) Would that could I have phone racing to that? Would that have been relevant? Don't you get Don't you start I'm a black woman. All right. I know we got another show coming up. We we got to we got to deal with that as it relates to economics as well. <laughs> and like I, I got said, something to say about that. She's been the lucky one. She got the prize, didn't she? But anyway, and didn't say anything about the woman. Just you know, and some women are smart, and some women just aren't. That's just Are we talking about fathers here, uh, Sonia? Are we talking about boys and fathers? You started it. You you went down the you went down the wrong path. I was just relating dysfunctional people. Which I mean, some people say that's not dysfunctional. Some people say that's what a man's supposed to do. So it it appears to just be dysfunctional to me because neither one of them can take care of six kids or ten. So that somebody just Okay. Well anyway, man will have a different opinion, I'm sure. Okay. Yeah. But when you get when you get child support for six kids, where are you going with that? When you get child support duties for ten kids, where are you going with that? Can you give any of these people, any of these children, the support that they need? Not only Yes you can. Financial yes, you support can. financial support, not looking at them, you can financial support, but emotional, structural you know, report. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. People used to have 10 kids and 20 kids. This is 2012. They don't have Well, they still can do that. Men still can do that. Men are still doing that. Uh, Are they they what? Supporting them. They are supporting them. They are supporting them. My my brother is a prime example. He's a... he got seven girls and twenty grandchildren, and he's a yeah. He got a good paying, you know. He's he's pretty comfortable, but he so made boy, his business to take care. That's a whole And they love just like the song when we first come on the program. I love my people. They say I love my daddy. That's great, and I hey, that's I love that. I love that whole picture that you just painted. I painted a picture of some dysfunctional people. That was a whole different thing about what happens to boys when they become fathers. Boys, that's a boy mentality. See, we're talking about something different when we're talking about a, a man, his wife, had a huge family, supported that family. Well, Ray there's a really And I definitely want to address the Willie Lynch syndrome as it relates to boys becoming men and relating to their father. And I believe that the uh, general uh, can touch bases on this as well. It's the historical nature, um, and which I believe you stated earlier in our program, that a lot of us can identify one way or another with the men, boys going to fatherhood uh, and boys that never grow up to fatherhood and um, just abandon themselves. But there's an economic uh, and there's a Willie Lynch and there's a cultural barrier Mm -hmm. that is different 
compared to any other nationality, uh, but other nationalities uh, witness it as well, um, even to the point on, as we talk about the soap operas and the dramas, where the filthy rich are still got issues with doing the same thing. Children. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah. They're doing, doing the same uh, thing. I didn't say they weren't. I didn't say they weren't. And I didn't say everybody mm-hmm. was dysfunctional. I was, and that is dysfunctional to me. If I'm wrong, excuse me. But anyway, <laughs> we're gonna have a whole show between me and you back on this. Show. I but know we, have, we are. <laughs> we got we got other things to do too. But uh, yeah, back to the point of the show. What happens when a boy becomes a father? And really the concentration here <laughs> uh, is not on my opinion and your opinion or Willie Lynch put all those social economic uh, things in there, excuses, some of them, uh, from not stepping up to the plate being what you're supposed to be. Oh, here I go. Let me stop. But anyway. Yeah, that's you right. You are editorializing your butt off in this program. You have you never been so much editorial uh, in our programs before. Do you realize that on this particular subject? Well, if you had let me go ahead with my flow, I would have said that, but you wanted to say something about that black-white relationship. Gatry Manuel, I'm a black woman. I always will be. Now, let's go yes. back to what I was saying. We want to <laughs> focus in on what happens when a boy becomes a father. Can't even go to my schedule break. Because we want to see if there are, we have a scheduled break coming up. We want to know also, are there any alternatives? The last show, uh, they said no. Once this happened to you, you pretty much screwed for life. But I, I'm a, I have faith. I hope there is something else that can be done for you after you make mistake after mistake after mistake, besides marrying some woman that don't have children and messing up her life. Let me go to a break and... Uh, <laughs> Let me go. Let's just take a musical uh, break right here, and we're going to come back and talk about a few other things. Going to put you on hold, Chairman. I might bring you back. (laughs) 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 This is the Black Wall Street USA. This is Sonia Purdue, founder of Chicago's Black Business Network. And uh, we're just going to take a good musical break and chill everything out.
Welcome back. You're listening to Chicago's Black Business Radio Network, our Black All News Are You. Tonight's segment is Black Wall Street USA. Our host is Ron Carter, Chairman of Black Wall Street Chicago, Black Wall Street Districts Chicago. I'm Sonia Cassandra Purdue, founder of Chicago's Black Business Network. Join us today and touch the world. You are listening uh, to Draw Me Nearer, written and sung by Shanice Hill Sullivan. And uh, you can visit our website. It's her name www.ShaniceHillSullivan to see some more cuts from her new CD, Breakthrough. Our caller number is 347-326-9477. Our caller number is 347-326-9477. Welcome back to the show, Ron. Can you hear me? I'm hearing you nice and clearly. Great, great. Now, um, we do have a guest on the line. Mike McCormick is out of D.C. He did join us on the last show. Mike's having a long day over there, so I appreciate him taking the time and coming over here and being with us this evening. Uh, Mike, welcome to the show. Sonia, thanks for having me back again. Hi, Ron. How are you? Okay, I'm pretty good, Mike. How about yourself today? Hanging in there. Hanging in there. Okay, very good. Very good. So, yeah, we had a, a real interesting uh, program uh, last time you was on there. Give us a, a brief uh, background of how you are involved with this whole uh, father and uh, child uh, relationship. Sure. Um, I'm, I'm with the American Coalition for Fathers and Children, and uh, as dads, we're out here advocating for our kids every day, and what we do is we uh, advocate for children to be, be able to have a full relationship with both of their parents, uh, regardless of the marital status of the parents, and we want to see kids uh, be able to have as much a dad as they can possibly get. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I've seen a uh, cartoon um, it was a illustration type of cartoon. It was this, uh, I think it was more like a two-year-old black boy, uh, and he had a sign, and he, the sign was saying, Daddy. But as he held this sign up, it, they, uh, the, 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 uh, the illustration implanted the two-year-old boy held, holding the sign up, shouting, Daddy. And in the background, a bunch of uh, uh, teens was running from this little two-year-old boy. Does that have any bearing on, as we talk about, the uh, boys uh, turning to fatherhood? Well, it's it's kind of interesting that you bring that you bring that particular illustration up because I, I think that one of the things that's of concern there is that uh, daddy oftentimes means for a teen, you know, for a teen who has a child, it means that the child support enforcement agency is going to become a major part of that relationship between the father and the child. And it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be that, that the agency is going to become a part of making sure that teen father has a relationship with his son, but it is going to become an awfully big part of his life to making sure that any money that goes into his pocket, a good portion of that makes its way to care for that child. So, you know, I think that's saying a lot about why these why these uh, teenage you know these teenage fathers would be running away from that kid. Nobody's going to want to claim responsibility if what it means is 
they are also going to be marrying the child support system for the next 16 years. Mm-hmm. So with that illustration also suggests not necessarily about the financial obligation, but is there a culture that is driving uh, this big gap between uh, father and child? Well, I think there is. I think you have a. I think you have a whole. In fact, we're moving into uh, and very deeply into the second generation of children that many of them have no idea what it's like to have a father in their life on a day-in and day-out basis. And they didn't have their own fathers in their lives on a day-in and day-out basis, so they've created these children, and they have no idea what it means to be a influence and a part of that child's life and to have a long-term commitment to their offspring. They're just, this is just a foreign concept because they, they may not have had it in their own lives. They've seen their peers that they grew up with not have that particular presence of a father in their lives. And I think many, many young men today uh, really just has, have no idea what it means uh, to bring a child into the world and then have a lifetime tie, bond, and responsibility to that child. Okay, so then if we look at the, uh, the the cultural difference of different generations, uh, I can recall um, parents at the age of, and which it was really a norm, a parent between, the first-time parent between the age of 15 and 17 uh, or 18. I can even vouch for myself that uh, my parents were 17, and 18 uh, when I was born, and that was given a norm. And then even as I was looking at some program on public television last night, and it indicated the average uh, uh, parent who had started about 15 and uh, 14 and 15 years old, uh, and even as we look at today, uh, it may be the norm of a Average person that start being a parent can be in their thirties, going into their forties. But then there is, uh, using the term back in the day, there was more of a cultural acceptance of fatherhood. Um, so what has happened during these generations that there's become so much big of a gap? between child and parenthood or, as the show uh, is focusing on, uh, boys to fathers? Well, I, there are several things that have, that have happened on a cultural basis that have brought this about. I think, I think one of the things that you've seen over the last 40 years is there's been a real devaluation of what men bring to child rearing and their contribution. And what we found, particularly over the last 20 years in the social science research, is that men and women bring different things to this to this parenting equation. And when you, when when dad's not in a in a child's life, uh, typically kids learn a number of their social skill sets from the father. They learn a different set of skills that they need on a lifelong basis than what they learned from the mother. And that's not to say one is more important than the other, but the fact is is that if you only get half of that skill set that you need to be a productive and functioning adult, you're going to have a much more difficult life. And I think there's been over the last 40 years a real cultural shift 
And what we see is the value of fatherhood with respect to children. And it's focused over the last 40 years much more so on what father contributes financially as opposed to what father contributes in the area of emotional, intellectual, and spiritual and moral development. And all of that has been the emphasis on what father brings in those areas has actually been downplayed to where his influence is primarily financial. And when we see that happening, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm going to tell you, Ron, just my own situation, my parents had me. Uh, at a very young age as well. I think they were they were in there. I think my mother was in her late teens. My dad was early 20s. Uh, but if you look at that, it's a completely different generation, and they have been married for 50-plus years. And mm-hmm. at that time, at that time, the problem wasn't seen in having children at, at the latter part of your teenage years and early adulthood because the expectation was you were going to form a family, and if you did have a child at a young age, you were actually going to raise that child together. What we have today is, a, is very much more of a disposable type of a society, and there have been any number of factors that have played into that. But if you look back 50 years, we went from an environment of father knows best to today, it's almost father is worthless, and, well, and outside of his financial contribution, and that's that's been very detrimental, I think. Well, yes, we did talk about that uh, briefly. I think on the last show I mentioned, um, as the uh, you know no, um, not nothing against anybody per se, but when the uh, the young white lady come in the ghetto. In the project, uh, the men run like crazy, and um, the men. Uh, so the first of the month, all the men leave the house in the morning and go stand across the street at the uh, liquor store, while the uh, social um, worker come and inspect each apartment, uh, expect to see if there's any sign of a man living in that house as well as is there any shift in the income that maybe a man contributes to. And once that might be identified, then that is the case where I think I even use my own case as my father sometimes hiding under the bed or telling me to go get this cigarette out the bathroom when this official uh, worker came in the neighborhood. So is there a, a, a responsibility of fault Regarding the government as well, whether this is a father-son relationship, father-child relationship, rather. Well, I think I think there is some government responsibility for that situation having arisen. That whole man out of the house rule was government's response to uh, you know to attacking the uh, poverty. The mailbox belonging to three zero nine six four eight two nine six two is full and cannot accept new messages at this time. So so what we have here is very much government policy. I mean, think about if you're watching your father go out the back window because the, the white social worker lady's coming in the front to make sure there are no men in the home, what is that message that's being sent about the value of a father with respect to a family? What what's okay. being what what is culturally being ingrained there with regards to to the value of a man? I mean, it, and, and it's not just what it does to the men. It's also 
the ladies in the homes view of the men. And it, to me, it's just absolutely astounding that, you know, we're, we're looking at, hey, why are, why are government policies actually supporting the separation of families? Why is it that when a poor couple forms a family, that's the point at which they stand to lose their benefits? Why aren't we actually rewarding people for forming these relationships and making them long-term. You know, government was doing just the opposite. It was saying, hey, if you form a, you know, form a family and if dad's around, then we're not, you're, you stand to lose your benefits. And that's a, that's a terrible choice for a mother to be in. You know, do I, do I stay with the father of the children uh, or do I, do I, you know, take care of the kids? But all of that serves to devalue dad in the eyes of the society. And what you've got today are, are two generations of kids now who have seen this and don't know what it's like. I mean, we look at the research today and, and we look at it in, uh, in the communities and we say, hey, you know, it, there's this great goal and ideal that young people have of wanting to be married, wanting to have a family life, and yet by the same token, most of them think that will never be available to them that that's an unattainable objective. That's not unattainable. That's what we should be striving for. That was actually quite common 50 years ago. You know, I look into the, the research and what it says about the African-American community, uh, and it concerns me a great deal because the way the African-American family goes in America is typically the way everybody else is going to go over a period of time. And so, you know, you go back 40, 50 years in our society, the inner-city African-American community, 82.7% of kids were growing up in an intact two-parent home. Today it's less than 18% of kids that are growing up in an intact two-parent home with their biological parents. What happened? It wasn't because the African-American community abandoned the ideal of marriage and of family I think there were a number of gov government policies that put into place that actually made it very impossible for the low-income family to stay together. And yet what we now, know... You, would, you, would you consider that being a, uh, some people use the term, institutional racism or not insight of what the government policy and practice uh, incidentally created such a culture in the family, or was it some type of, uh, when we talked about the term, the, the Willie Lynch letter, where there is conspiracy, or is it incidental, or is it institutional? Man, I'm telling you, you, you're asking a very deep question there, and I think my answer would be speculation. I think that what we have to what we have to acknowledge is that the policies had some very significant unintended consequences. Now, if you're asking me, was the motivation to destroy the African-American community in order to justify uh, things like the mass levels of incarceration that we see today, um, Ron, I'm going to tell you that's above my pay grade, man. I don't, I, you know, I don't, I don't want to speculate on people's motivations as to why certain things happen. I would be, I would be ashamed to call myself a member of this human race if I was thinking that there was a deliberate attempt to destroy a community. And I understand the eugenics history of this country very well. 
I understand, uh, you know, I, I mean, ask me why, you know, I, I personally, my personal thought is I think there's something wrong when there is so much Planned, Parent acti- Planned Parenthood activity in the low-income neighborhoods in our country. You know, and, and but if you're asking me to say, is this part, you know, is this part, of, was this by design to destroy these communities? I would hope not, because what it's done is it's destroyed the social fabric of this country. But I just, okay. I see the results. And right now, for me, rather than laying blame, the question is, you know, I don't want to fix the blame. I want to fix the problem. And and I think that that's where we have to be focusing our attention is to say let's fix this problem and what we're doing now is not fixing this problem. In fact, we can see over the last, uh, you know, I think we talked about this, but uh, the year before uh, Dr. King was assassinated, he commented on the out of wedlock birth rate in the African American community. And since he made those comments in 1967 the out-of-wedlock birth rate in the African-American community has doubled. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, Sonia, uh, how are you looking here? I think it's, I think it's a misguided looking, government program. But go ahead. I'm sorry. We're looking We're looking great. Want to go to a break? Okay. All right. And then we're going to come back, and uh, we're going to touch another part of this as far as the the individual we dealt with a government and its role per se, but we're going to skip the skip when we are getting back, okay? Okay, Mike, stay with us. We'll be right back. You're listening to Black Wall Street USA with host Ron Carter, Chairman of Black Wall Street District Chicago, publisher and editor of the South Street Journal newspaper. We're just going to take a very short break and uh, hear from our sponsors and we'll be right back with you. Just a little bit about who we are. Chicago's Black Business Network is a grassroots business to business service designed to assist the individual business owner in his or her efforts to reach the next level of service and growth in the marketplace. It is our goal to provide a platform for businesses to connect across the city and the country. This is where you create relationships that are designed to take your business to the next level of success. Chicago's Black Business Network is growing. We now have 800-plus members, and it is our mission to plant the seeds and provide the tools for growth to each of our members. Visit us today, www.chicago's, that's Chicago with an S, Chicago's Black Business Network dot com. Join us today and touch the world. I'm Sonia Cassandra Purdue, founder. We're the soul of Chicago, WJPC. On Sunday, February 26th at 4 p.m., find yourself in the midst of a new experience when you attend The March, a civil rights opera by Alan Marshall and Jonathan Stenson. This is a free event. Reservations are highly recommended. Pre-register by email at rsvp at civilrightsopera.com. Hosted by the Chicago Park District and the South Shore Opera Company. That's Sunday, February 26th at 4 p.m. at the South Shore Cultural Center, 7059 South Shore Drive in Chicago. For details on this drama in the making set in 1963, visit civilrightsopera.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Chicago's Black Business Radio Network, All Black All News Are You, for January 26, 2012. Tonight's segment is Black Wall Street U.S. 
Welcome back, and you're listening to Black Wall Street USA for January 26, 2012. And uh, tonight's host is Ron Carter, Chairman of Black Wall Street District Chicago. The subject tonight is what happens when boys become men. And, uh, Ron, I just want to say, I don't think you heard that sponsor before. That's a new sponsor. Were you listening to what that was? That's I <laughs> I just yes. wanted your I just wanted your opinion on that. That's an opera, the March. Uh that's the civil rights opera this February the twenty sixth, Sunday the twenty sixth. I went to the website and I looked at that. The website looks great. It is quite interesting. I am going to see that opera. It is a free event. Uh quite interesting. Quite interesting. So uh we have to take a look at that. I would have not thought of an uh Civil rights opera, but somebody did, and it's quite, it's going to be quite nice. But let's welcome. Yeah, when we think about uh, uh, Paul Robeson, when we speak about that one, as a matter of fact, we have Mr. Anderson. So, uh, opera definitely has been a part of the black culture in many different ways. So, I'm not surprised, but I definitely uh, am surprised that they brought it at the South Shore Country Club. Right here on the south side, that would be interesting. That's for sure. It is going to be interesting. Quite interesting. And free too. And free too. Isn't that wonderful? So we don't have an excuse uh, not to see it. And they want they wanted the uh, people who have an interest or a curiosity to know that it is a drama. It's not a total opera. It is a drama and an opera. They're inter they're interacting uh, with both of those. Uh, Jen Ross. So, Mike, welcome back to the show. Thanks. Great to be here. Okay. So, when we speak about the the social um, counterparts of government, how do we actually, or is uh, is our cultural getting too far from the where we used to be and boys becoming fathers to the point that we continue to see uh, boys not becoming fathers. Um, is there a role or responsibility that uh, the community must take part of, or is this something that boys have to realize on their own? How, how do we close this gap? Well, I, I think it is a community responsibility to change this particular system if it's going to change. Uh, you know, it's really interesting because what, what we look at today um, is are we in a situation today where young men are where people would have said women were 50 years ago in terms of opportunity and in terms of, you know, if you look at what's going on today in, in the community, and this is across the spectrum, uh, you have more women going to college than you have men. You have more women earning advanced degrees than you have men. And you basically have men moving and, and boys are moving to the, mar to the margins of society. And it's, it's really interesting because we are never going to reach a, a point of equality in our society as long as we actually focus on the issues and the problems of one sex. You know, if we focus all of our attention on, on how girls are being uh, left behind and we don't pay any attention to what's going on with boys, 
then we're going to be in a situation where we are today where we basically have now what's developing is a backlash where boys have said and and young men are saying, you know, it's too risky for me to be married. I don't want to be a part of that that situation. And what we're seeing, and particularly in the African-American community, I'm sure you hear this complaint all the time, that women are saying there are not eligible men to marry in our community. And why is that? Probably, I would say, this pendulum swung too far, and and we haven't concentrated on what do boys and men need in this society to for this society to be to be functioning and advantageous for them as well. And and if I could, I'll just give you one illustration of this. That uh, uh, within the current administration, when shortly one of one of uh, President Obama's first acts was to establish a White House Council on Women and Girls to specifically look at how to advance women and girls within the society across all different particular areas. One of the most recent areas that they're looking at is what's called STEM. That means advancing girls in the area of science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. And there's a def- there is a focused attention on, on doing better for girls in those particular areas, bringing more women into those areas. But there's no corresponding White House counsel on boys and men. And yet if we look at it, boys and men in our society today are having problems that are as great as any of the problems that women and girls have. And and this is what I'm saying. When we focus on one side of the equation, we're not going to, you know, the, the old saying a rising tide lifts all boats. But when we're only focusing on one side of the equation, we're not going to be lifting everybody. And I think that's the job of government as it looks at programming. It ought to be looking at how do we create greater opportunity for everyone. And that, I think, is what's, is what's most important here as we're, as we're looking at this. And we've created a, a situation. To, to get back to this idea of what was going on uh, in the inner cities, we've seen now in Washington, D.C., an initiative where the housing authority has gone back out to dads and said, hey, we want you to know that you're welcome in the home. We want, you, we want to bring you back. So is it this tacit acknowledgement that it was the policies of government that actually drove dad away? And now, realizing that what that father deficit has meant, the government is saying, hey, come on back in. Uh, but, but I think there's this, this real great emphasis as well on, dad, your first responsibility is to provide financial support for your family. And then the other things that you bring to the table, uh, well, that, you know, that'll be great too if you get there, but if you don't, there's not as much emphasis on dad's presence as there is on dad's paycheck. And what we have, what we're coming to understand is that dad's presence is actually more important than his paycheck in terms of what it means well, to his kids. Is this a, a federal government program sponsored by the federal government, or is it by the city of D.C. Uh, or the, the federal government? It's it's actually a cooperative program, and it's something that I hope actually goes further across the country. But it's it's you know you have different pockets, and Chicago has been a great one for this for years. But uh, this one happens to be going on in D.C. where it's it's kind of a a, a district federal 
experiment to see can we get dads back into family life. They're recognizing that, you know, what's happened the last 40, 50 years of, of, of the type of programming that's gone on uh, has really has really been detrimental to the kids and, and detrimental to fathers and male involvement in the community. And, Ron, you know this. You take the adult, responsible adult men and fathers out of the community, and what you end up with is chaos. You you end up with I mean how many kids have been well where are we at January 29th how many how many kids have you know how many kids under 20 have already been murdered in Chicago this year well and, and about I'm, 42 <laughs> about 42 in the last uh, uh, within the last month and a half or month and a half I mean months, about 42 so so where did this happen I would say part of it happened because we actually removed the male influence, the positive male influence in the form of fathers from the community. Uh, you know Jenks Morton? He's, he's done some no, great documentaries know. on this kind of stuff. And he did a documentary not too long ago called uh, called Men to Boys in terms of, of African-American men oh, speaking yeah, yeah, into yeah, the yeah, lives. Yeah, and you know what? Yeah, and, and here's what one of the kids that was on there said. He says, all the gangsters come from the single mother homes. Think about what he's saying. What he's saying is that dads, kids that have moms and dads that are actively engaged in their lives, don't go down the wrong path. And the reason for it is, is it's that adult male presence. I mean, what did mom used to always say if you were cutting up at home? I know what my mom would say. Wait till your okay, dad gets home. Huh? That's <laughs> correct, right. Correct, correct. So that's, not, a, how that's we, not present. Yeah. Well, now, is this here a, we understand that we're speaking about what's happening here in the United States, but is this here a cultural phenomenon in the United States? Is we, if, if, could we compare this to other um, countries around the country where we're seeing this big gap between uh, child and parent, and or boys becoming fathers, is this here uh, universal around the world, or is it the United States, and particularly having this here boys to father uh, type of issue? Wow, um, another question that, that is real deep. I think it depends on where you look in the world. Uh, I think where you look in the world where fatherhood has been devalued, that this thing is happening in a, in a much, in a significant way. Um, you know, we look at, at, for instance, like Great Britain, uh, and, and we see that the fatherless problems over there are just, are, are just tremendous and they are increasing. And, again, a lot of it happens over there. For instance, you know, we've got a White House Council on, on Women and Girls. In Great Britain, they've taken the next step where they have a ministry of women. It's a, it's a cabinet-level department of women, women's issues. And there's no corresponding cabinet department. Government's not looking at the issues of men. And so you've got a situation over there where, where you can actually look overseas and see in a negative sense where we're headed if we keep going this way. And, uh, and there are other places where we see actually uh, very positively the family is still, you know, is still 
the family is still an honored institution. And, you know, this is the thing is that I, I think it's so important for people to understand that a family, a, a family consisting of a mother and a father and their children can be a reality. It doesn't have to be an ideal. It actually can happen. It's going to take work, and it's going to take a lot of work. You know, nobody, marriage is not an easy thing. Ask anybody who's been married, you know, 20, 30, 40 years, if it was easy, and they'll just roll your eyes and look at you like you're crazy. Of course it's not easy. But but what we can do is we can, as a society, take steps to encourage family formation. And I, I think that, um, you know, I, I just think that this trend of, and one of it, one of the things we can do is just instill back into our youth that it's not a consequence-free decision for children, which is what we're talking about here. We talk, we're talking about children having children. And, you know, let me ask you, how do we get a 14-, 15-year-old boy and a 14-, 15-year-old girl not to produce babies? I think we've got to. I think we've got to make that particular effort uh, because this is, you know, you see the results of this. I mean, and, and we see it all over the country. The, just the idea of uh, it is absurd to find 22-year-old young women that already have four children. Yet it's becoming more and more commonplace. But then again, how do we uh, separate uh, government uh, seeing the potential of the country? And how a family, you know, again, the family is the uh, the prime institution uh, more than church, uh, or it used to be to a great extent. Uh, but as this marriage institution is uh, breaking apart more and more, and as it relates to children, who steps up? Is it the government? Is it more of the community? Or is it the, the, the community against the policies of government? Or is it the, you know, then if we look at the church, uh, in, the, in the city there are more churches where most of the absentee fathers actually exist. So where do, where do we go? Where do we put the emphasis, the government, the, the community, the church, or we wait until that spirit of a boy uh, mature into a, a father. And then I just want to add a little note that the media tends to not be in favor uh, then uh, of uh, fatherhood, but then at the same time, some of these programs, you have uh, the child being just as sassy with the father as the wife, starting you yeah. in a way. <laughs> Well, you know, and this is it. I mean, it's it's the culture. The culture has played a great role in devaluing the family. And you know, if you have if you have that traditional family, you're considered old fashioned and out of step and this kind of thing. But uh, but let's take a look and talk about how government and culture and family all work together. Um, what we're seeing, for instance, out of Child Support Enforcement Bureau, is the Child Support Enforcement Bureau is marrying up to the churches to run programs together with the churches to get, you know, young fathers to come in and, and come through the church to, to get squared away on your child support and, to, you know, to, to try and use the moral authority of the, of the church 
to get young men to do what they're to do what the government thinks they should do in the child support area. Now it would seem to me that if you can do that with respect to child support, why don't we take these vast resources of government and actually say, hey, why don't we marry up with the church to promote the value of family? But there are ideologies that say that that sh- the government shouldn't be doing that. The government shouldn't be promoting family as an ideal because that's endorsing a particular preference for, for uh, you know, that's endorsing a particular preference for people's particular lifestyles and government shouldn't be doing that. So government thinks mm-hmm. it's okay to say to the church, let's do a program together to bring dads in so that we can get them squared away on their child support, but it doesn't say let's do a program to bring dads in to talk about the benefits of actually having your of actually forming a family. And and it's it's to me it makes no sense that we don't have that kind of programming going on. When was the last time your kid came home from school and uh Sonia, I know you can't answer this question, <laughs> so it's somewhat rhetorical. But when was the last time the kid came home from school and said, hey, guess what we learned in school today? We learned about how much, how economically better off a family is when it's mom, dad, and kids versus when it's mom and kids. But but we don't teach that kind of thing in school. Why not? I mean, the fact of the matter is, is that all the data in the world tells us that if mom and dad are married together and then have kids, that their life economically is so much better than if than if mom has kids by two or three different dads and dad has kids, but you know, and dad has kids by two or three different moms. That model. Well, I work. do recall. I do recall some classes. I think they used to recall home economics. Uh, home, I believe it was called home economics, and where the students in high school were actually taught. Uh, family. Uh, I'm, I'm not yes. sure. I know it was called something like home economics, where they taught the economics of a family and how to be a parent. Uh, I do remember some classes to that nature. I don't yeah. think I took the class, but a lot of people did. And well, when I was the, yeah, and and I you hear I you know I hear what you're saying, but here's the thing. I remember that time. And I was a product, I was going to the high school in the 70s and that kind of thing. And I can remember going to the school library and we'd pull those films out and, you know, we'd sit there with our buddies and we'd watch those movies and we'd laugh at them. But you know what? Yeah. Because they were depicting the life in the 50s where, you know, mom was the homemaker. Mm-hmm. Right. Well. thought that that was all humorous and all funny, and but we are, were all still living in our intact families, right? But you're looking at this situation today, but here's the thing. Those films were actually produced by the federal government, talking about this is how we have a cohesive social life and a cohesive family, and that was reinforced in school. Now what you have, if you can get your kids to show up at church on Sunday or if you can get, you know, a family to church on Sunday, what you're going to see is that what they're going to hear in church on Sunday is not going to be reinforced outside the church walls. It used to be when I was a kid what you'd hear in church on Sunday would be reinforced in Monday on school, would be reinforced in this activity over there or this activity over here, and that's where we've broken down culturally. And I'm just saying that, you know, it might be a good idea 
before we go so far off the rails here, it might be a good idea to say, hey, we need to bring some of that kind of education back into our schools, and not not in the kind of silly sense that we used to watch those films and laugh at the people in them, uh, you know, and, and, and that kind of thing. But why don't we go in and why don't we teach these kids the economic benefits of actually having kids with one woman and forming a family when you do it, and what that means to you on a long-term basis in terms of your future. And here's why I'll say this. When you look at kids who are incarcerated in juvenile hall and they end up in adult institutions, when, you, when they're interviewed and people go back and say, didn't you understand that the end of your road and where it led to was that now you'll be doing life in prison? Didn't you ever know that? And, they, and, and they, they'll come back and they'll say, no, I was in juvenile hall and I always got another chance. Nobody ever told me what the consequences were. I always, you know, I was always, I don't know if that word is coddled, but I was always, I always got another chance. I always got to do over. And then, you know, when I hit adult prison, there was no do over. And now here I am. And 70% of those kids come, come out of fatherless homes. 70% of them. We're not educating our kids properly. And the whole idea, we've gotten to this mindset of we can teach our, let's let our kids see a little bit of everything and let them make up their own mind. Well, I'm sorry, but I'm not going to let my children go down that path. It's my responsibility as their parent to train them, but if they only have one half of that parenting team, they're only getting one half of the education. Mm-hmm. So then now, government itself has to, uh, if we're looking at uh, family values, it's part of the you know the, the the major a major institution in the United States. Um even to the point do uh, when we look at divorce court, is it a uh, is it the the, the pastor that should want these divorces or should it still be rest with the court to decide the fate of the children. I mean, even to the point that some time ago when uh, parents, God forbid, are deceased, the, the Mexican always takes on the child. But when the family is into a divorce, yes, they would go with one of the parents, most likely the, the mother, who is to take on that responsibility of, are we looking at what's good for the children, or are we looking at what's convenient for the parents when it comes to divorce? Yeah, it's the latter. It's the latter. I mean, the research is very clear that uh, children, the best environment for children is an intact two-parent home. If that's not going to be the case, the best thing that we can do for children from a child development perspective is to give them a full relationship with both of their parents. And, and that, uh, I mean, the research is very clear on this. Um, what you've got, for instance, uh, there in Cook County, um, you know, people, you know, people tell me go down to Randolph Street to the Parentage Court one day and and watch what's happening and watch, you know, what you're going to see is you're just going to see a chaotic court environment where the system is trying to keep up with the volume of cases. And what you've essentially got now is how how do we it's it's mass processing 
is what it comes down to. So people believe they go to court to get an individual determination of their particular situation. But the fact of the matter is that there are so many cases and there are only so many judges and it's just volume processing. And and what we're having to do is kind of change that mindset within the court. If we're going to have a standard visitation schedule, well, you know, why can't we have a standard visitation schedule being instead of four out of every 30 days for the dad, why can't we have a standard visitation schedule that's, that, that actually is better for children? And let's say dad's there, you know, at least 12 out of 30 days instead of four out of 30 days. There, there's no justification for how little time children spend with one of their parents. And the great, the great shame for a lot of our, for a lot of our kids uh, of divorce and unmarried parentage uh, is that is that they live within you know just a few minutes or a few miles of their other parent, and a court order says you can't see your kid except for you know every other weekend or whatever the court order, if at all. And and this is you know what I would say at this point, and what we've been talking about on this program is that the most underutilized parenting resource in America today is the other parent. So what will we think to hope to, I mean, even based on policies and guidelines from uh, divorce courts, from the um, institution of the church involvement, what can we see by the end of 2012 as it relates to uh, boys becoming fathers? Is there any sign that this trend of gap between boys and fatherhood, or are we still going to be more intense in the frustrations we have today regarding the subject? I, I wish I could give you a better news on that horizon. I don't really see any specific programming that's coming in the in the near term that, that is going to address the types of things that we've talked about tonight. Um, child support enforcement is a is a very I don't want to call it a punitive activity, uh, but you know uh, when a when a boy has a child, the state is going to hold him responsible for supporting that child, and unfortunately his opportunities are limited if he has a child at at, at any age or out of wedlock. Uh, you know the the state is going to take first claim on all of his economic production. To support that, to support that child, and he has an obligation to support his children. But I, but what I think that we need to do a better job of is we need to be explaining to these boys, starting in junior high school, this is what it means to your future to have a child while you are this young. And and then not only just explaining and lecturing, right? Because I mean, you, you know, I, I can remember those days, and I, you'd tune out a lecture. But if we engage these guys and say, hey, do you know, do you remember Jesse down the street and what happened to him and where he's gone? Take the examples right out of the neighborhood and take the examples positively and negatively. You know, there's the, the school there in Chicago. Is it called Union Prep? Is that what it is? The school where every guy who graduated, it's an it's a all-African-American boys' school, and every senior that graduated got accepted into a four-year university. That might be um, uh, San, um, Hale Francisco or Mayo. I believe that's Hale Francisco. That's the school that I know of that all the um, all the 
seniors uh, go on to college. Uh, in some cases, uh, matter of fact, South Sea Journal did a story in one of our last issues regarding that, in which uh, there was two that did not go right into college, but they were on their way. So uh, you're saying that that's somewhat of an example that these things can be done. Uh, now, but that's coming from um, more, I don't know if it's more of the institution that's enriching those youth or is there still the backup of the parents that's helping the institution? So uh, I guess I'll be leaning to a more formal partnership between the educational system and the parents when it comes to social skills of parenthood or advancement in their personal life? I think it's I think it actually I think we have to get back to that day where what you learned in school reinforced what you learned in the home and was reinforced by what you were hearing in the church. I think we've got messaging that's going on today that's not consistent across the spectrum of interaction for these kids. And, and you know, the schools don't handle this family life education in in the way that in the way that that promotes family formation these young men they don't know what it means you know they don't there's no second thought about getting involved with a young woman and producing a child because they don't know what the consequences of that are and i'm saying that we need to have churches and schools and communities continually reinforcing what it means to make these decisions. It's just like these guys sitting in, you know, sitting in jails going, well, we had no idea that the consequences of our actions at 18 were a lifetime in the state penitentiary. And we, knew what it was, what, we knew what we were doing was wrong. We knew what we were doing was wrong at 13. But every time we went to juvenile hall, we spent a year there and we got out. And that seemed to be a reasonable trade-off, or we knew what we were doing was, for what we knew what we were doing was wrong. But when we did the same thing when we were 18 and we got 25 years for it, we never had any idea that it was going to cost us 25 years when it only cost us a year when we were 13. This is what I'm saying about the family life education, is that they're, they're not seeing the long-term consequences. And I think that's where we're failing them. We're failing these young people as adults because have you ever said to yourself, you know, Ron and Sonia, man, if I only, you know, if I was, if I only could be 18 again knowing what I know today for me as a 50-year-old. Correct. We're not passing okay. that well, knowledge on. We've got to pass that knowledge back to these kids. Well, look, let's, uh, we're going to take a break right here, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to kind of get into another perspective of this um, boys turning into men, uh, or fathers, I'm sorry. Uh, Sonia? You're listening to Black Wall Street USA with Ron Carter, Chairman of Black Wall Street District Chicago. I'm Sonia Purdue, founder of Chicago's Black Business Network, and Ron's host for this segment, the one with the sassy mouth. Now, I just want to add a couple of things. <laughs> oh, I didn't miss that part. I was over here working and doing a couple of things, but I didn't miss that part. I, I guess you have a 
traditional uh, mindset of what a woman's place is, and I probably don't fit into that. Uh, I'm usually very non-traditional, but probably my, don't. I listen. It's probably don't. It's all right. Uh, I, I still uh, love you, but yeah. It's all cool. With, it's all cool with me too. So, Mike, you know, I yeah, I want to, I just wanted to make a few comments. Uh, there, there are quite a few people in our chat room. They're just listening to us. I want you to call in. The caller number is three four seven three two six nine four seven seven. I do remember those home economic classes. I didn't take any because I went to a technical high school, but uh, I do know there were some health classes, uh, health and hygiene that people are not learning. Uh, that people, everyone was required to take those classes. I, I do remember that uh, back in the day. Um, and I know that women took the cooking classes, and people frown upon that, but I don't see anything wrong with that. And uh, the kind of general classes about life and uh, living and that type of thing. Now, they do, and I don't know if they do it generally in high schools, and they should. I know. Um, in college, the first year of college, uh, college course, I remember teaching a life study skill class where you talked about all the facets of life. But by the time uh, you're in your first year of college, a lot of minds are made up about a lot of things, and that's a course that needs to be taught properly, as you say, in junior high school. So I, I, can't, I can't agree with that part. Um, now, as far as you, you mentioned that number, 18% African-American households are uh, headed up by females? Is that what you said, Mike? Uh, t- no, today it's actually it's actually close to 82% of inner-city African-American I mean, 82% are homes. headed up by females. Okay, right. I did it the reverse yeah. I did it the reverse way. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was it, 40 years ago it was 18% of... Oh, 40 years ago it was 18%. Okay, oh, my. Right. It, it flip-flopped in the last 40 years. Such a tremendous, such a tremendous uh, issue such as that. That's a generation to generation to generation uh, when you're looking at people, and I put it in chat room, who don't understand about having a relationship with a father uh, my mother and father were not married. My mother had me when she was 18. She was not married. And in the in the neighborhood that we lived, that was not uh, the majority. So we're talking about the 50s. But, of course, I watched it, it creep up. Two or three houses got a little loose over there. People started being unmarried and having a baby. But the neighborhood, the community, considered those to be the lewd houses, the people of low morality. They weren't upholding it. Uh, they were frowning upon it, and it would be those people over there, okay? So we talk about the yeah. 50s and early 60s. It was those people over there because uh, almost the majority of people, just as the numbers you said, were married and they had their, their children and holding on to their marriages and that type of thing and raising their children. So then we... Uh, we continued down there, and I, we moved, I moved to the projects with my grandmother, and we look at the situation in the projects, whereas, of course, there was, when I first moved in there, mother and fathers, uh, because they were doing it, um, they, were, uh, they had set amounts of rent. I remember this very well. Had set amounts of rent. If you had a one-bedroom, you paid this. You had two-bedroom, you paid this, and that type of thing. For the working people, it was a set amount of rent. Um, then 
and I got like the eighth grade, they changed the policy according to how much you make that's how much you're going to charge you to live in the project. And the working men moved out. The men with the highest salaries and the most skills, they moved out because they was charging them, you know, more than they wanted to pay to live in that particular situation. And you saw a change take place then. So then you saw a majority of women with, uh, uh, you saw a majority of single women raising their children. Now these women, and not all of them, uh, having babies with different men uh, and not having a stable male figure or father in the house. Okay, so we're talking about uh, late 60s, early 70s. Now, from my experience, and this is not everybody, the morality change, and people are free to do what they want to, but this is what it's led to. The morality and idea of that being acceptable changed. It was not a bad thing. It was okay. It was fine to do this. These women were doing this, and that's when public aid was paying you, <coughs> excuse me, more money for each child you had. So we had the woman right. that don't have nine kids because she get more money every time she have a baby. Right. I ain't saying that's the reason she did it, but, you know, that happened there. <laughs> that was but the result. That was the result. You get a bigger check every time you have a baby. They was just having babies. So anyway, now you pass this mentality on to your daughters. They don't feel there's anything wrong with it. So if they get pregnant when they're 13, 14, and 15, they're going to get a check. They got my check. They got I got my check now. Nothing wrong with that. I'm gonna get me a project now. So if now these women are fifty, sixty, and I guess seventy years old, and they've passed this mentality and this morality on to their daughters, and said it's nothing, it's nothing wrong with this. It's nothing wrong with doing it like this. Just the way we do it. We get on the wait list for the project. We get us a project, and we get us. Uh, check, and we all good, and we're not trying to do anything else. It was too widespread, and I'm saying this from experience because I lived in the project, and if I'm lying, I'm lying because I'm watching this every day. So it's, it's okay. They're fighting there in the project to hold to hold themselves up in what they're doing, which is, is a life of failure, and I'm sorry if you're offended by it. It's a life of failure that doesn't lead anywhere. Not completing high school, not acquiring any skills, not growing into adulthood, but living on this small thing because you feel secure about it. You are secure. You got your rent paid, your life paid, your gas bill paid. You got your food stamps, your lean car. How secure can somebody be? For 30, 40 years. So are you putting I mean, a lot of this emphasis on how society and government play a role indirectly in, um, in, in, in really, I think that you could broaden it to the female responsibility um, than the subject of boys to fathers, but it's um, a double take on the female as well that um, legislative yes. policy kind of uh, put a, a direction yes. or maybe an unconscious direction in our whole family structure. It, it, it did has, that, and can, uh, we, can, can we take that one, one step further? Because you're exactly 
spot on in terms of what was happening. And, and from the federal government level, when they looked at this situation and they saw the explosion in benefits that were being paid out to support single motherhood, what you ended up with in 1996 was the Welfare Reform Act, which actually limited the amount of time that mothers could be on welfare. And in the 1996 Act, as part of that, the thinking was if we are going to limit the amount of time that mothers can be on welfare, we have to be a lot tougher on child support with respect to fathers because mothers aren't going to have the public check for more than five years. So what you ended up with was this massive child support system came into to it became much more forceful after the after the Welfare Reform Act of 1996 and it became much more punitive as a response to the idea for an unlimited period of time and for an unlimited number of children and it's become much more punitive than it was back in the 60s and the 70s when this system was developing but the government looked at it and said, we can't sustain the payment of these benefits indefinitely, and it led to the expansion of the child support bureaucracy to where in 1990. You, you're going in and out. Your cell phone is trying to get weak over there. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. It's going in and out. And, yes, that, and, that, and that's, that's the that's a scenario. So, and and, and uh, finishing this little scenario, we I look at that 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 history, you know, that experience over there, and I'm watching this. So now you got a woman who's had all these children, not one, but many, 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 all these children for these this past her childbearing years. Now she does now the what now the last one reaches 18. She has no check and she has no income. She has not paid into the social security system. She has no skills, and this is what she's done with her life. So where where is she now? She's passed this morality on to her daughter. So they're all doing the same thing all 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 around them. Now, if I look back over my life, my grandmother raised me, and she did raise me on public aid. My father was a part of my life. I never lived with my father except for maybe summers or something like that. But he was a part of my life. But I look, you know, at the number of people. And to me, and I'm, I'm not sure, we talk about what happens to boys when they become fathers or we're talking about boys when they don't have experience with men or with their father figures. To me, from a woman's perspective, when I get to know a woman and I look at women who have not had a father in their life, that woman is different. Her confidence level is different. Uh, how she thinks of herself and perceives herself in her life is a little bit different. Women who have because uh, I can say I love my father, and I can say I, my father loved me, although we did not live together on a day-to-day basis. I know that he cared, okay? Now, for that, for women, for me, from my perspective, when you find women who have not had that experience, they have difficulty in understanding the, the father uh, relationship or the importance of the father as well, and they have different res- perspectives on me. I think you know, having a father that loves you increase it will increase your amount of respect for men. Uh, even if I'm sassy mouth, it will increase what you <laughs> it'll give you a higher value on men. Uh you think more of them uh than 
you know, not knowing your father, not feeling he ever cared about you, feeling that he was abusive to your mother and those type of things. That makes for a different woman as well, and that makes for a different relationship that she's going to have not only with men but with, with the world. Women who have the love of their fathers, and that's just my belief, and the support of their fathers, are stronger women and more confident women, and they and they make better decisions. We know it's not perfectly in a hundred percent what I'm talking about, but that's been my perspective of women who have who've had good relationships with their father. So it's not only the boys who are suffering long term without those relationships; it is the women who are suffering. And then, if you look at and uh, if you look at what's going on in the relationships between men and women, and not black men and women, but in the United States, women who, without those type of relationships, just have poor relationships with men and they have less respect for men. And uh, the I don't need you anyway kind of attitude about it because they don't understand having and maintaining relationships. And I can't say I understand all about it either, Uh, but – they have they have a great difficulty because there is whether you like it or not, uh, you know, gay women say they don't need men. Whether you like it or not, or whatever you said about it, there is something missing when they when you cannot maintain or you don't have or you're not in or you don't understand or you feel like you don't need that male female relationship. There's a purpose for well, it. There's a reason a, for it. Based on you indicating and understanding Talking the, talk the uh, form a little bit for me. Talking the right. form a little bit better for Based me. Based on understanding the nature between the, uh, the, the mother and even if it comes to relationships with the man uh, or, the, or the boy to become a father, is there a responsibility and an acknowledgement of the mother role in nurturing the child to the father when all possible? Or is it a matter of the mother uh, contributing to boys not becoming men? So is there a, uh, Mark, maybe if you know, is there a sensitivity among women groups that understand that importance of Rather, whatever age they may be, they may be in their 20s, their 30s, 40s, 50s, or some group, a women group, that understand that responsibility for a woman to take a more active role in nurturing the the father-and-child relationship. Uh, yes, there are, but that's not what you see in terms of the ideologies that were driving the policy development. Uh, and, and when we talk about the women's liberation movement, and Sonia, I'm going to say that your observations about what a woman misses when she doesn't have her father in, in, his, in her life are exactly right on spot, and the research has borne that out. And, in fact, what we know is that, you know, women who uh, and girls who don't have fathers in their lives become sexually active uh, at an earlier age. They tend to become uh, pregnant at an earlier age. They tend to have more children out of wedlock than children than uh, women who had a fully and actively engaged father. And that goes back to what we talked about earlier in terms of how how important the role of a father is with respect to the social development 
of a woman because it is through her father that a woman learns relationships between proper relationships between men and women. And that's when we take that dad out of that equation, there is a tremendous deficit created within that within that girl and she loses that and that's that's why it's so important that a child, male or female, a child have both the mother and the father engaged. Ron, you're absolutely right. The predominant political uh, framework of the 60s and 70s where we've got a lot of these systems was that men were the problem for, men were the reason for the problems that we had in our society and in the world. And, and that is, and that served to drive policies that actually uh, marginalized men in, in family life. But there are female organizations today, uh, there, there are actually both. There are female organizations today that say society would be much better off if men were just pushed to the margins and, and good riddance. We, we haven't missed anything by, by not having men in the society. We need to continue to empower women at the expense of boys and at the expense of men. There are other female groups that are coming forward today saying, hey, wait a minute, that's not right, that actually rather than focusing on the competitiveness between men and women and using competitiveness as a gauge for the success of men and women, we need to be looking at uh, and what we did in the past was the complementary nature of men and women and what the two of them together added to the whole of that union of a man and a woman, not what each individually takes out of it and gets from it. They both benefit, but not founded on the competitiveness between men and women, but actually on the complementary nature of men and women. And I want to tell you, I'm fully, I am so happy to see that women are getting advanced degrees. I'm not one of those she needs to be barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen. The contributions of women to our society are invaluable. We just need to make sure that as we raise the tide, all boats get raised. It's not just one one side at the expense of the other. Great. Mm -hmm. Mike, I want to thank you, and I want you to hold on. Uh, Ron, I want to take a short break here. General Parker's on the line. We want to give him at least a few minutes. I don't know where you've been, General, but I see you showed up uh, at the last minute, and that's okay. We want to give you a few minutes to take a couple of words, and there's another caller on. So we're going to take just a very, very short break here. We're going to be right back with you. You're listening to Black Wall Street USA. I'm Sonia Perdue. Even superheroes gotta be healthy. Get the Sister Girl Workout Book, a graphic novel available this Black History Month at the DuSable Museum Trading Post gift shop located at 56 and Cottage Grove in Chicago. There you'll find our growing line of hot black age graphic novels, 
or visit Only Studios at www.onlistudios.com. Plus, get your own OnlyWears Art Star Denim Jacket. These one-of-a-kind special designs are available now at the Elephant Room Gallery at 703 South Wabash in Chicago. Only's wearable art brings out the art star in you. Indie today, Black Age Forever at www.onlistudios.com. If you're like most Americans, you feel miserable in your job, then take control of your future. Visit careaboutyourfuture.com and discover a surefire way to tap into the power of the Internet and generate unlimited profit. Generate sales commissions on products that you never even create. See why this powerful system can start generating a massive amount of income and learn how to harness the power of the Internet that will change your life. Go to careaboutyourfuture.com. Greetings, this is Prentice Allison, founder and president of SPSI, a network of financial service professionals teaching America how to get more income and pay less tax through life insurance and annuities. Let us show you how. Call us toll-free at 877-902-9048. Again, 877-902-9048. I wish you well, and to God be the glory. For true inspiration, check out singer, songwriter, and radio personality, Sylvia Fedrick. Sylvia, your sister under God's construction, brings to you her best in Christian contemporary gospel tunes. And they are available for download at www.sangseal.com. That's S-A-N-G-S-Y-L dot com. Or you can visit her profile at Chicago Black Business Network. For bookings, call Sassy Michelle at 512-914-4221. Ladivas of Chicago Catering at www.ledivas.com is offering a 40% discount on their delicious and delectable dishes for events of 100 persons or more until December 31, 2011. This offer cannot be used with any other offer. Call them now at 773-536-5432. That's 773-536-5432. Proud and privileged, America's first African-American anytime drama is getting ready for its first season and they want to celebrate with you, Chicago. Meet the cast and the production team of Proud and Privileged on Friday, March 23rd at the Prince Hall Masonic Temple located at 809 East 42nd Place in Chicago, 6 p.m. to 10 p.m. Enjoy great music, networking, refreshments, and photo ops. $25 in advance, $35 at the door. Advance payment recommended to PayPal.com at Chicago's. That's Chicago with an S. Chicago's Black Business Network at gmail.com. Get on board by calling us at 312-239-8835. Preview the trailer at www.storiesareaway.tv. Sponsored by South Street Journal, Chicago's Black Business Network, and WJPC-FM Chicago, the soul of Chicago. You're listening to Black Wall Street USA with our host, Ron Carter, chairman of Black Wall Street District Chicago and publisher and editor of the South Street Journal. 
I'm Sonia Cassandra Purdue, founder of Chicago's Black Business Network. Join us today and touch the world. If you want to find out about some great advertising specials with the South Street Journal coming up in the next edition, give me a call, 312-239-8835. want to remind you that Clerk of the Circuit Court, Dorothy Brown, will be our guest next week right here Thursday evening, 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. She will be taking calls. The topic is... What's ahead uh, in 2012 for women in business and politics? And we want you to call in and talk to the clerk. She's looking forward to it. And just want to tell you a little bit more about our event on March 23rd. That's Friday at Prince Hall Masonic Temple, 809 East 42nd Place in Chicago, 6 p.m. to 10 p.m. And uh, Proud and Privilege is going to be a new soap opera filmed in Chicago. They're going to be filming their first season, and this is sort of a celebration. Uh, Get with the folks from Jackson Heights. Jackson Heights is a fictitious suburb in in the south suburb of Chicago, and that's uh, where we're going. We're going uh, out to the home of the proud and privileged. And so you can look at uh, some of their the trailers on www.storiesourway.tv.com. Let's bring the chairman back, and we're going to bring on um, General Parker so that he can have a, a few words. And thank you so much, Mike, for holding down the fourth for us. You worked overtime tonight, did you? Welcome back to the show, everyone. Yes, you sure did, and gave us some real good insight, along with your comments, to Coach um, Brian, Sonia. How you doing, gentlemen? Oh, I guess for an ugly man, Ryan, I'll be okay. All right, okay. So I don't know how much you got into the show, uh, but Mike definitely uh, went over some social, uh, economic, and cultural issues as it relates to uh, boys to fatherhood. Um, and know that you have been super active in the fatherhood role in the children. Uh, can you give us a recap before we uh, uh, go off the air here? Well, I'm not sure uh, exactly what all you spoke about. When I came on, uh, I think you were uh, talking, and then Mike uh, reiterated what you had brought up. But uh, uh, that's why uh, I had Mike to be one of the experts to speak tonight because he truly is an expert in this area. And I know I wasn't, mm-hmm. I'm surprised I had time to be able to make the call because I have my own personal issue that I'm going through right now. As you know, I'm going through my own personal divorce, so some things I'm going to have to deal with in family court here in the very near future, mm-hmm. so that's what I was attending to. So how uh, did you make, uh, real quickly, uh, General, how do you distinguish from political and social leadership on this issue uh, separated from your own personal um, uh, concerns and even to the point that they have something to do with your children. What's the dividing line specifically with you uh, very quickly, uh, your role as a social activist in father's rights and personally as a father? Well, I wish I could tell you there was a divine line with me, but in my personal case, there is none because being an advocate for father's issues and then in the political realm that you know that I, I deal with, not only on local politics but state and national politics also, um, 
the opposition of which Mike was speaking to know that I deal with those issues. So uh, it's affecting me right now in my own personal uh, matter that I'm going through right now. So they're, they're using political uh, opposition towards me to try to annihilate me in my own personal matter in the force court right now in Peoria because I speak out on father issues. And uh, really it's not just a father issue. I speak out on what's righteous and what's just. And just so happens that this particular time, fathers really catch it in family court. But uh, if you were a mother going through the things that I was going through right now, I would stand up for you also. But I would stand up for the side of righteousness just Mm-hmm. Okay, so is there, is there anything coming up regarding this total uh, uh, boy to fatherhood? Is there any particular focus, uh, legislation, or think uh, tank to address this here, or is it? Well, Ron, this whole uh, series that you guys have been doing, and I really want to thank you guys right now. I want to thank. CBBN for inviting us. Uh, it all started with the initial uh, session we did on the Stevens Watkins bill, that's uh, House Bill number 1604, that's sponsored by Representative Thompson Howard, you know, down in Springfield right now. Uh, we kind of got stalled in the Senate, but uh, that's, that's the bill that deals with parental visitation interference where one parent would try to prohibit the other parent from seeing the children. So if we get this passed through the Senate and legislation uh, starts back up, the, the session for the legislative in uh, Springfield starts back up uh, January 31st. So we're hoping okay. to get that passed. And what, we, what we're trying to do is bring parity between parental visitation interference and, uh, and non-supportive uh, or not compliance with child support. So uh, okay. right now there's no parity. So if we can get that on an even kill, that will stop a whole lot of litigation that's going on in family court right now, we believe. Okay, very good. Okay, well, Sonia, uh, uh, how are we looking here based on our timing and uh, are we getting the case to show out for this evening? Well, we are we are going to close out for this evening and, and very shortly. Want to know if Mike had any any final comments? I I do have one other person on here. Let me. Oh no, he wants to listen. And the other person. Okay, they want to listen. They they're just listening. They're all in the chat room. They're listening. <laughs> uh, but but no, but no okay. comments. And that happens. And and that's okay. But. Uh, I want to do it again and keep hitting on the different perspectives. And I want to figure, I really want to figure out uh, how to formulate one of these shows and speak to the young men and send that out. That's what I'm really interested in doing. And, well, Sonia, well, um, uh, I got a question for you then because um, generally when you talk about any other issue and you talk about an 18-year-old black male here in society, uh, who cares? You know, we go to our legislators, most of them don't care. You go to your government agencies, you go to the schools, you can just look on the streets, you can look at Chicago Public Schools, you, anywhere you go, I mean, who cares? You know, and that's that's the issue that I got to deal with every day. And I, and I work with Dr. Philip Jackson with the Black Star Project, and we let people know out there that we do care because the people that control the education of our children control the future of that culture. 
Okay. Yeah. So they need to know that Black Star Project cares, the Illinois Fathers cares, American Coalition of Fathers and Children, we care. Okay, because once you're an 18 year old black male and you got children and you're in the system, it's over with for you. Because the minute you start missing the child support payments, you behind and you call up in a web of, of uh, legalized slavery. You know, they start tagging on instant penalties and, and you'll never be able to get out of that system ever again. And this so, metal um, to be yeah, yeah, forth out look there. At, yeah. Okay, so General, you look at the uh the government has influenced our relationship with boys to fatherhood, uh, real quickly. Do you think that that has been the case? That they have um, the government has influenced the demise of boys to fathers? Uh, of course, you, you have different agencies, and they all intertwine. Um, as, as my uh, as, as I work out here as, as an advocate and as an organizer, there's different groups that I work with, and we always work against other groups that work together. And there will be your government agencies, uh, there will be your school district, there will be your uh, high power corporations, and they work together and they talk together. The Chamber of Commerce and all those people because they make money doing the things that they do now, certain things that they don't want to fix, okay? And if you have a group of people that it, they can continue to make money off of, okay, and right now, uh, first it was just blacks in general, but now it's black males, now it's males, okay? So this is reaching out into the white and Latino and other communities also. So if they can continue to make money off you and, and allow the other Opposition to always be viewed upon as uh, the victim, you know, the ones who we have to help, the ones who we have to empower at the expense of dehumanizing and, and like I said earlier, totally annihilating the opposition. And I'm viewed as an opposition because I speak out on these issues, okay? If they can continue to make money off that with the funding and the grants and the legislation, they're not going to give us the opportunity to even speak out about these things. Okay. Well, there's uh, definitely a, a concern as we look to the future, even if the government is planning for the year 2040 and the economic stability of Chicago and it's based around economics. So when we're doing projections for the year 2040, I guess we have to look at the cultural influence uh, of family in order to base that on capitalism as well. Absolutely. Correct. As we, absolutely. As we close out this show, Mike McCormick, we want to thank you, General. We want to thank you, and we will do it again. And uh, Mike, we won't, we won't, we won't hold you for two hours. But we, <laughs> we would love for you. It was a pleasure. But you did your job. You did your thing, and we, we and we really appreciate it. We really because uh, it was very informative, and it needs to be said, and we need to hear it, and it needs to be heard repeatedly. General, thank you for being with us as well. We do appreciate you every time. Thank you so much. And uh, Ron Carter, uh, we are going. We do need to have uh, other shows. I know the, I've done uh, two shows: a child support uh, business and. Uh, tonight, uh, what happens when boys become fathers? So these are sort of the male perspectives, and I know the women because I, I did get an email from Monica. I know the women 
want to share their perspective. So we will we will do that as well. Yes, I, I know how those private conversations go with women uh, and fathers. I do know about those conversations. And I don't want to think uh, the women to think that I was putting them down. I don't have children. I don't want women to think they was putting them down as I was talking about the cycle of what I watched happen. It's just the reality of it. You know, when someone sits there and says, I'm not going to get a job. I ain't working for nobody. I ain't going nowhere. They don't have to. Oh, I'm not going to work till my child five years old. I'm like, is this Beverly Hills? Where are we now? You know, because they didn't have to. Didn't have to. But that's lost mm-hmm. life. That's, that's, that's lost life. Life is passing you by. Life is about living, acquiring skills, learning new things, reaching out, doing, having different experiences, not sitting up in a house in a project having babies. I'm just saying, if that's your choice, that's your choice. But I would really think to look at your life and really teach your daughters a different way of life, that they can have something so much better, so much better. Ron, we got 60 seconds, your final two words. Well, we are focusing on the Black Wall Street districts, and with that visualization of what a family and a community can be based on economic stability of that community. If the children can't see that, then the parents can't see it and the children can't see it, and I think that that broadens the gap when a community is not in control of its economic stability. So the Black Wall Street District of Chicago is moving forward as it will uh, affect boys to fathers as well. See how long those two yeah, words yeah. were, people? It was the longest two words you ever heard in your life, wasn't it? Thank you so I'll much. I'll try to get them in there. <laughs> Thank you so much, Rob. It's great to be back. Okay. I, I know you're painting some over there, but uh, I think I know that. I know. Uh huh. I know. I know. I know. Thank you so much, everybody. You're listening to uh, Black Wall Street USA. That's Ryan Connor right there. I'm Sonya Purdue. We want to thank you for joining us. Thank all of you. Next time, call in. We look forward to you with Dorothy uh, Brown next week. Have a good evening, everyone. Be blessed. Okay. Good night, all.